He is the only way of salvation. As much as the world wants us to tell us to coexist, that there's many ways to heaven, we know that that's Satan speaking because we know that there's only one true way, and that is through Jesus Christ. That That's going to be, at least for the beginning of Acts, is, is going to be our key verse for a while, but I tricked you because we're not even going to go to Acts today. I'm going to talk to you from Daniel today. And it's the, the guys in Bible study, and I just knew during the week this week that, that I wanted to share this even before we had our men's Bible study yesterday morning. But turn to Daniel chapter 1 with me. And we're going to do our best to do chapters 1 and 2. Since we're not doing a book study, we're, we're going to fly. We're not going to take a lot of time, but um, some things I want to share from Daniel 1. As I, as I get older, and as I, 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 I'm not sure how, how exactly it happens, but it, at some point, you begin to see the message in God's Word. It's very simple. And, and, you know, great theologians study and they'll talk about the hypostatic union and all, you know, they'll use all sorts of big different words for different things. And, and the gospel message is very simple. It breaks down that we are sinners and we need a savior. Jesus loved us and he, he provided that way of salvation for us. God's got it. Every, everything in our life, everything that happens in our world, nothing takes God by surprise. And He's got you in His hand because He loves you and He'll take care of you. I want to start out with, uh, t- talk about a young lady that, that was in the Air Force ROTC program. This is back in my days. And when I was still active duty Air Force, and I, I never met the young lady. She went to a, a university out west, but I was at field training one summer with the NCOIC that was at her university, and through the summer and, and working together and spending a lot of time, she shared with me one day about this young lady and her detachment. This young lady was 16 years old. She had just finished her master's. And before she could go in the Air Force at the age of 18, her plan was to have her Ph.D. completed. Now, I never met the young lady, but this, and and I would trust the word of a female NCO versus a male and I'll just take her word for it. She said this young lady was an absolute drop-dead gorgeous young lady. So she had the brains. She had the outward appearance. And they said that she kicked tail when it came to PT. She was setting all the school records for ROTC. She was beating the guys' records push-ups, sit-ups, the run, anything. She was kicking their tail. 
So she's got the brain, she's got the looks, she's got the, the physical aptitude, and to boot it all, she said she actually had a personality. So now if I say the word anawim, does that mean anything to anybody? Anawim. Those that were left behind. Quickly to Matthew 5. Keep your finger in Daniel 1, but just briefly to Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit... For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is where the term anawim comes from. These were the opposite of this young lady. These, forgive, forgive my, my frankness, these were the dumb, ugly ones that nobody wanted. These were the ones that were left to watch the vineyards and to do the labor, the work. So if you look in Daniel chapter 1, we'll pick it up in verse 3. The king ordered Ashpenaz, the chief of his officials, to bring in some of the sons of Israel, including some of the royal family and of the nobles, youths in whom was no defect. They were good-looking showing intelligence in every branch of wisdom, endowed with understanding and discerning knowledge, and who had ability for serving in the king's court. And he ordered him, Ashpenaz, he ordered the king Nebuchadnezzar, ordered him to teach them the literature and the language of the Chaldeans. I think this young lady probably would have fit into that group. She, she was one of the best and the brightest. And that's who the, who King Nebuchadnezzar wanted in his, in his crew. When they conquered a land, they would take the brightest and the smartest and the, the, the scientists and the doctors and they would take them off to their land because they wanted to add their knowledge and wisdom to their, to their culture and to their people. Daniel, and he had three friends. Can anybody give me the Jewish name to his three friends? Well, the Jewish name, Shadrach, Shadrach. No. You read verse 6, didn't you? Uh-huh. There's a wise guy. He's smart, okay? He kept reading. Daniel's three friends were Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. That was their Jewish names. It's funny that we call them by their their Babylonian names. But that was one of the the tricks of the traders was that they would give them, the when, when they were taken captive and dragged back to Babylon, they would give Babylonian names to try to help them forget their culture, their faith, their religion, whatever. So Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah became... Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But th- these were Daniel's buddies. And if we're, remember these three guys as we get to the end of chapter 2. We're not going to talk about the fiery furnace today. 
But we're going to see these, these three guys again right at the end of chapter 2. So Daniel is, is taken in with this group. He's, he's a young man. Most, most of the time, those that were taken the bright, brightest and the best, they wanted them before they were too set in their ways, but where they were still malleable and they could, they could form them and shape them. And so they were probably somewhere between the age of 12 to 16, 18, something like that. Probably 18 was even getting too old. So they, these were young, young men. They, they were not old in the faith. They were not old in the world. They were young. So as we get to chapter, or excuse me, verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel made up his mind that he would not defile himself with the king's choice food or with the wine which he drank. So he sought permission from the commander of the officials. Okay, if we look back at verse 3, that's Ashpenaz. He sought permission from the commander of the officials that he might not defile himself. As a young man taken captive in a foreign land, he's, he's got some grit. He's got some metal in him that he is willing to stand up to his captors because he had determined in his heart that he would not defile himself with the food or the drink of the king of Babylon. Yeah, that takes some nerve, doesn't it? Some some nerves of steel, metal, something. I mean, the, the, the kid showed some strength. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull your memory back to Nehemiah with, with verse 9 here. Now, God granted Daniel the favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. God granted God's hand was at work. And all the times, if you, if you would go back, not right now, but in review this week, this afternoon, and, and look through all the time that we spent in Nehemiah, and the number of times that Nehemiah would say, God's hand was in this. This would not have been accomplished without God's participation. And, and that's the, the whole point of my message today. Who sets up and takes down? Who's, who's in charge? Who's in control? But God. And here we see God at work. God granted Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the commander of the officials. God was at work. Because here was a young man that had chosen to obey God. He had chosen not to defile himself with the king's food or wine. He made the conscious decision and he was sticking to it. So God granted Daniel the favor. It wasn't that, that uh, even though Daniel was probably good looking, smart, had a way with words, he was pretty intelligent. He isn't the one that, that worked his way in with Ashpenaz. God did it. God worked in Ashpenaz's heart. Well, that's harder to say than it sounds. Ashpenaz's heart, yeah. Daniel said to the, verse 11, Daniel said to the overseer, whom the commander of the officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, they hadn't received their Babylonian names yet, please 
Test your servants for 10 days. Something that we could all learn well to observe how Daniel did this. He was courteous. He used good manners. That goes a long ways. Even when we're dealing with those in the world. So he says, please test your servants for 10 days. And and we know the story, verse 15. At the end of the 10 days, their appearance seemed better and they were healthier than the youths who had been eating the king's choice food. I don't like the end of verse 16 there because it said they just kept giving them vegetables. I want to know what happened to my hamburger in there, but... But Daniel made up in his mind that he would not defile himself. He had made a conscious decision. And God was honoring that. And in that 10 days of the trial period with, with not eating the king's stuff, because Ashpenaz, that was his job. His job was to, to train these, to get them ready to be in the king's presence. And, and, and if he brought in these ghastly, emaciated young men, the king would not be pleased. I mean, these were the, the, the complete package. They needed to be smart. They needed to be good looking. They needed to be able to be in the king's court. And he didn't want people in there to look like they were on some poster for, for starving fund to raise money to send to Africa, okay? He, he wanted the brightest and the best And God granted that because of a determination to stand true to his faith in God. So in verse 9, we we see God granted Daniel the favor and compassion. Verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence in every branch of literature and wisdom. Daniel understand all kinds of visions and dreams. God gave. God gave. Now, now there was obviously some talent that God had given them previously to, for them to be recognized and taken in this group back to Babylon out of Jerusalem. But it came from God. God gave it to them. Again, if you look through Nehemiah, how many times does he talk, does Nehemiah talk about the hand of God? And in my favorite part in verse in uh, chapter six of Nehemiah, where where he, he talked about the nation saw that God had completed the work on the wall, and they lost all their confidence because they recognized that God was working on behalf of the Jewish people. Woo! Yes, I love that. I love that verse. You know, I do. that the world recognized that God was at work. Does the world recognize that God is at work in our church? When we talk to people in the community, what we say about other believers here in the church, what we say about God, about Christ, do they recognize that God is working here? I should pray pray that. Because if it's not, we're in trouble. God gave them the knowledge. Verse 20, the king consulted with them and he found them ten times better 
than all the magicians and conjurers who were in his realm. Now we get to chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. And it bothered him because he didn't understand his dream. So he called in all the... Where's the list there? Verse verse 2. Chapter 2, verse 2. The king gave orders to call in the magicians, the conjurers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans. And the, the, by, by using that term, Chaldeans, uh, they were the astrologers, but they were the respected as the most intelligent of these group of people. And the king says, I have a dream. My spirit is anxious to understand the dream. I need you guys to tell me what my dream was because I'm getting old. I'm forgetful. I need you to tell me what my dream is. And then tell me what it means. Chaldean said, wait a minute. Verse 4, Chaldean said, O king, live forever. Tell us the dream. The king answered in verse 5 and said, The command for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a rubbish heap. Yikes. No, no, no job expectations too high there, right? I don't think I've ever had a super. I had some nasty supervisors in my time in the Air Force, but I don't think any that quite went to that that degree there. Verse seven. They answered a second time and said, "Let the king tell the dream to his servants, and we will declare the interpretation." The king answered and said, I know for certain that you're bargaining for time, and as much as you have seen that the command for me is firm. If you don't make, um, if you do not make known to me the dream, there is only one decree for you. For you have decreed, agreed together to lie and, and conspire and corrupt words until the situation is changed. Therefore, tell me the dream. And the Chaldeans came back in verse 10, rightfully so, and they said, there's not a man on earth who could declare the matter from the king. And as much as no great king or ruler has ever asked any of this of a magician, conjurer, or Chaldean. Can't be done, king. It can't be done. You're, you're asking something that's never been asked before. You've got to tell us the dream if you expect us to, to interpret it for you. Because of this, verse 12, the king became indignant and very furious and gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went forth, the wise men should be slain. And they looked for Daniel and his friends to kill them. Daniel replied with discretion and discernment, again. Again, being courteous. Not not walking in with the attitude of, you owe me because I'm one of the wise guys. With, with caution and discernment, with care, wanting to do it right and to do it well. This is Arioch. Arioch was the captain of the king's bodyguard. Different, different fellow than Ashpenaz that he, that he dealt with earlier. But it seems to be a, a consistent pattern that Whenever Daniel was involved, God would prepare the hearts ahead of time. 
and that they would work with him. And, and he answered, said to verse 15, to Arioch, the king's commander, for what reason is the decree from the king so urgent? Arioch informed Daniel about the matter. Now, I, I've always wondered, and, and I don't have the answer, so if anybody you know, let me know after, after church. How many wise guys did they kill before they got to Daniel and his buddies? Or, or did he go straight to Daniel? Did, did God direct and lead him straight to Daniel? We don't know. I, I mean, at least I don't from, from the scriptures here. There, there could have been a bloodbath already going on. Or maybe the Lord intervened and, and had Ariat go directly to Daniel. I don't know. But what's the first thing Daniel did in verse 17? Daniel went to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, and he asked them to pray. He said, request compassion from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so Daniel and his friends might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar was serious about killing these dudes if they couldn't come up with what his dream was. He wasn't joking around. But I love verses 20 to 23. Daniel, and just, just listen to how Daniel acknowledges God and, and what God is doing. Daniel answered and said, Let the name of God be blessed forever and ever. For wisdom and power belong to him. It is he who changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men of understanding. It is he who reveals the profound and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells in him. To thee, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise For you have given wisdom and power. Even you have made known to me what we requested of you. For you have made known to us the king's matter. Just like Nehemiah. First thing he did is went to prayer. He said, guys, pray. Pray for this situation. He he knew that he wasn't going to do it on his own. He knew that his knowledge and his gifts were from God. And if he wanted to activate them and use them, he needed to call on God. So he went to his three buddies that he knew loved God as much as he did and were as faithful and true, and that comes out later in the, in the book. He says, guys, first of all, you got to pray for me. And second of all, when God works, we're going to acknowledge that it's God doing the work. It's not us. There's not anything that we can do. We, we are nothing without God. Our wisdom, our knowledge, our understanding, our discernment, and our discretion come from God. It comes from His understanding. I love this too. Verse 25, Ariach hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows. 
I have found a man among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. Ariok, you didn't find him. You, you, you didn't have nothing to do with this. What are you taking all the credit for? Ariok, you don't know what you're talking about. You didn't find him. God led you to him. So long story short, now i got to read 27, part of 28. Daniel answered before the king, said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God. <coughs> Daniel, <coughs> excuse me, Daniel was agreeing <coughs> with the wise guys. King Nebuchadnezzar, there's not a man alive that can do this. But there is a God. And my God will do it for you. And he explains, and we won't get into a lot of details um, of the, the dream and the interpretation. Other, other than the fact that, um, and, and we'll leave this up to your study, verse 33 talks about a stone was cut without hands and it was it struck the statue and it broke the statue down in his dream. And, and it crushed it, it crushed the, the gold and the silver and the bronze and the iron and the clay. It crushed it so that even just a slight breeze, I mean such fine powder that even a slight breeze would blow it away. God's in control. God is in control of kings and kingdoms. And that stone, and as you is we were finding in our study yesterday. Is obvious an obvious reference to Christ, because Christ is the only one that can do that. Christ is the one that has the power. But what I want you to see is that God is in control. Verse nine. God granted Daniel favor and compassion. Verse seventeen. These four youths, God gave them knowledge and intelligence. Verse 18, Daniel is telling his buddies, request compassion from the God of heaven. Well, why would you request compassion from the God of heaven if you didn't think he could give it? Daniel knew that's where it was going to come from. And then his prayer there, 20 to 23, just all the acknowledgement and the praise to God for who he is and what he's doing in, in the work here. Verse 38 talks about God. He has given them. Verse 44, the God of heaven will set up the kingdom. Verse 45, the great God has made known to the king. And verse 47 of Daniel chapter 2, the king answered Daniel and said, Surely your God is a God of gods and a Lord of kings, a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Because Daniel chose not to defile himself, he gets promoted. Verse 48. He was made the chief wise guy in Babylon. He was made the head. And not not to be arrogant or presupposing, but in verse 49, Daniel made request of the king. The king approved. And he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now it's interesting. Now they have their Babylonian names. 
He appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon. Now we're not we're not all all going to become mayors or CEOs over huge corporations or anything because we prove ourselves faithful to God. That's not His plan for each and all each one of us. But if we walk with Him. We walk in His path. We know and have the confidence. We have the strength, the comfort, the assurance of knowing that He's in control, that He's in charge. We know that He sets up kings and He tears them down. And if, if that doesn't give you a sense of peace in this day of chaos in our country, you're, you're missing the boat, okay? God's got it. Is it chaos? Yes. Is it ugly? Yes. Is it disturbing? Very much so. But we need to understand that God is in control. Nothing can take that away from Him. His his purpose, Isaiah 55, when, when His Word goes out, it comes back, and we used to, there, there's a verse that says, it won't return void. Well, that just leaves it kind of short. Because in Isaiah 55, it doesn't just talk about returning void. It says, God's word sets out to accomplish and accomplishes what he set it out to do. Well, that's a whole lot more than just saying it doesn't come back void. God's word accomplishes what he sets it out to do. He will do it. Rest assured. Rest assured. Beth, we'll have you come now before communion. We're going to sing how deep the Father's love for us. You can stand if you'd like.